1: Welcome once again to your absolutely favorite Portland Trailblazers podcast. And if it isn't, we don't want to hear about it. We we hope that we are uh, among your favorites anyway. I'm Dave Deckard here with Marlo Ferguson with Dave and Marlo episode six. I will have all of you know that since this partnership got together, the Blazers have been doing pretty well. And I think there's clearly some cause and effect there. So, you know, let's get the word out, up the readership, give credit where credit is due. Uh, Marlo, congratulations for personally turning around the fortunes of the franchise.
0: Hey, it was hard, but somebody had to do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So since last time we talked, the Blazers, of course, are 2-1 and because that's what you said would happen. Uh, They beat the Pelicans, and then they lost to Dallas, and then uh, they had San Antonio with a little rougher of a game perhaps than it could have been, but they they squeak out the win. Uh, Let's start with New Orleans, if you would. I don't know if you remember that. It's a week back, but uh, no Damian Lillard. Uh and the the Hornets were full strength. So that was like an iffy thing, but this was the beginning of Jeremy Grant really busting out 10 for 20, four for eight from the arc, 27 points. Anthony Simons had 23, and the Blazers handled them easily, 106 to 95, and one of the few really convincing wins of the
0: season. Uh What did you pull coming from that, or did it surprise you that they did that? Uh, I think to that degree it definitely surprised me. Uh my initial thought was before that game I had been so excited to see the uh McCollum vs. Lillard game. But what we saw in that game was was just as exciting. You know what I'm saying? We got a chance to see uh Portland really attack Zion Williamson on pick and rolls, uh match up Hunt a little bit and show that they can win a game without their star player. So uh you just get inspired seeing the the, the many different ways they continue to get wins and, and hey, it was it was a nice, nice win on the road. Nothing short of that.
1: Yeah, a couple things came out for me. First of all, again, Anthony Simons, 23 points. Now, granted, he shot 5 of 18, but he was 5 of 13 from the arc, 8 of 8 for free throws. So, Simons scores 23 points. C.J. McCollum, <clears throat> 13. That's kind of like, okay, you ran into your old girlfriend out at the movie theater, <laughs> and your new girlfriend is hot. So, I mean, uh, Simons would—I mean, he he kind of— I won't say captain captained the team because, you know, Jeremy Grant really took over, but Simons did facilitate, and Simons, he's got, okay, he's got this thing, right, that I haven't seen before, because last year, obviously, he was focused, he he was the focus of the team, so when he hit the floor, he was taking all the shots. With Lillard out, he could easily be doing that this year. He's not. He, he let Grant take over. He helped. He, he hit his catch and shoot shots. I
0: loved it. I'll tell you what, he's he sort of becoming one of the great uh, ice and veins kind of scorers. You know what I'm saying? I was looking at a game from, from uh, Memphis a couple weeks back, and he had won three, and I was like, watch this. He's about to get hot. Um, and so just, just seeing that, uh, another big thing from that game is that that was the first game the Blazers played this year, I wish they did not commit more than 10 turnovers. Um, so that was an awesome sight, too. But just on Simons, you look at the uh, – it also introduced a different thought, just looking at how he's struggling in the first quarters of games and then started heated up later. Um, and I wrote about that a little bit in the recap. But he's he's – that'll probably be one of the big next steps of his, his maturity and his, continu- his continuing to progress, uh, just being able to start off games well. I thought that Jeremy Grant did a great job of keeping them, you know, in the flow early. And then Simons came in later on. So it's just uh, just continuing to build on that. I think it's a
1: big thing. Yeah, I mean, turnovers, obviously, that's another concern. Like, if, if Lillard's out, and you got Simons, and you got Hart, and you got a cobbled-together lineup a little bit, you expect the turnovers to go up. He took care of the ball really well. I mean, he had, he had one turnover that game. Uh, also, who was Simons, you know, across from? I mean, C.J. McCollum, more or less. Who is Grant across from? Zion Williamson, more or less. I mean, they weren't exactly playing, you know, the Sacramento Kings. So that was super impressive. Another thought on Simon's though, with your... Yes, it's streakiness kind of, but I think it's also somewhat that he can not touch the ball for a while, or he can go cold for a while and then still turn it on. I actually trust that more than if he had to come out and dominate the game right away. That Just because Simons is a little quiet in the first half doesn't mean he's not going to pop off for 15 in the third quarter when the team needs it. I think actually given the makeup of this team, that's kind of an asset.
0: I can see that being the case too. Um, and just a few weeks back, he talked about that in the press conference where he was just saying like he's got to be more selective about picking his spots. Uh, getting to his shots, you know, more uh, sooner than sooner than he has, and um, it's something to watch. I think you see kind of the same thing with Damian Lillard, where they can win games without him having to take a thousand shots. Uh, but I think more importantly than anything is that he's showing that he doesn't have any fear in those big moments whenever they need one. And, and you saw that in that San Antonio game. He gets the ball in the fourth quarter. Uh, he's he's whether he's two for ten or, or ten for ten, he's gonna he's gonna give a good chance to hit those shots down the stretch. So that's an inspiring part of everything that's going on right now.
1: Another nice thing about that New Orleans game, then we'll move on. No Yusuf Nurkic, but oh. Drew Eubanks uh, comes in, and uh, he he only scores eight points. I mean, he's three for four. But what do you want from Drew Eubanks? He gets eight rebounds, commits zero turnovers. He's plus 18 for the game, which I hate single game plus minus as a stat, but it's, you know, it's the whole starting lineup was positive, and Eubanks was right there with them, right? So, like— it, I'm not going to say Blazers didn't miss a beat, but Drew's, Drew's not bad. Drew knows what he's doing there. And when you consider that he was waived, he was cut last year by San Antonio and zero people. If you were playing, you know, NBA 2K23 and holding a draft, he's never picked. He's never. I mean, he's, he's off there in the, you know, third or fourth, uh, you know, sub league there where you're scrapping for anybody who's six foot eight or over. Look at what he's doing. Stepping in, starting, winning.
0: And it's funny you bring him up because I was thinking sort of this exact thing yesterday when they played at the Spurs uh with the hot girlfriend and whatnot. He's playing against his old team. And I think guys always get a little bit more juice with that. You saw that with uh, with Josh Hart against the Pelicans, the way he came out in that game. And Eubanks, I think he's making this this front court situation a, a lot more interesting. Because if you look at yesterday, he got the bulk of the four quarter minutes. Uh Yusuf Nurkic, we're looking at a situation now where he's he only played 15 minutes yesterday. He was a minus 21. Uh, in those games, Eubanks, Eubanks was, a, I think, a plus 28, 33 minutes. So we're seeing an impact player, you know, sort of fitting into this role in, a, in a, a very, very formidable way at this point in time.
1: Also a credit, by the way, to Portland's system that Eubanks can step in. Now, again, is Nurkic the focal point? Not much, right? So, I mean, the uh, the job description isn't huge there. But still, okay, You got to be able to set screens and get to the hoop, right? And get yourself open. Otherwise, they're going to cut off the guards, right? You've got to be able to rebound. And by the way, who really defends inside except in the fourth quarter when they hit that magic, like they make it to the Emerald City and they, you know, all of a sudden that they're able to defend? Who's defending that inside uh, paint during most of the game? It's Nurkic or nobody. So Eubanks is is doing what he needs to do and. I'm, I'm just amazed at how you like you don't even blink after the starting lineups are announced. It's like oh they're just
0: playing. Yeah, he's, he's just been inspiring to watch. You know he's a guy that knows exactly knows exactly what to do. He knows his role. Um, he had a play yesterday that I thought was I thought maybe it was the play of the game, one of the plays of the game where he ran that uh, pick and roll with Lillard, and the Spurs were kind of expecting it. He just took off the other direction, and uh, it was kind of poetic to see that because that entire game, Jakob Perto had looked like. Like with Chamberlain. He was blowing off, blowing guys off the dribble, <laughs> hitting floaters. So it was kind of nice to see that kind of switch up a little bit there. Um, and he ended up crawling the pass, got an a one and and I don't think the blazers trailed after that play. So it was a really telling play in that game. and he he, he continues to make just memorable plays each night,
1: yeah, it's awesome, okay. so moving on to Dallas. 117, 112 loss. Lillard comes back, scores 29 with 12 assists. Now he had five turnovers. He looked a little bit shaky and rusty. But uh, stats that that stand out to me: those 12 assists, also 15 of 17 from the foul line. Can we stop and talk for a minute about that? First of all, about Lillard's passing game, because I think this year, I'm not saying this is his best. I think he, I think there were more open passes in past offenses. I mean, because they were easier. Okay, look, you're going to hit Nicola Batum in the corner. It's not very hard. And or Al Camino Aminu in the other corner, that avenue is always open. So I think his passing game was easier at one point. But given the newness of the team, and adapting to the system, yeah, I think it's really remarkable how Lillard has been distributing the ball.
0: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that too. Um, and he's, he's always been a guy that's made difficult passes. You know, he's running pick and rolls, driving right, slinging it to the to that left side corner. And I think that's a, a really big thing with this year's team, just in terms of them being there. Right now they're, they're ranked as the uh, second most accurate team on, on catch and shoot attempts, catch and shoot three-pointers. So his his ability to continue to draw attention and, and get those guys open, I think is a, a really big thing. And he said something um yesterday. In this press conference about how this Blazers team can't uh, can't afford to keep flipping the switch and trying to turn it on late, I think they can because they've got guys that can hit shots. When you see one shot go in, it's it's you know a second one might be coming. So it's kind of inspiring this year to see him not have to do the, the whole hero ball thing every night um, and, and find guys that uh, can can take the pressure off of my offense and help him become a better defender, which we saw against San Antonio. So.
1: They got. We'll go to Simons for a second. Uh, Simons was the third leading scorer in that game with only twenty-four points. Now, did you think you'd see the day where you oh, a oh, guy scored 24? I mean, that's, you know, it's, uh, whatever. It's an off night for him. What the heck?
0: <laughs> this awesome thing about and Lillard, he talked a little bit about um, I remember in, in the offseason he did a, a, a podcast with uh Shannon Sharp from Club Shane. He was basically saying that like this year's version of him would be the the best one yet. And it was fun to think about because we've seen some some great versions of Damian Lillard. But you, you think about what that might mean. That might mean more hero ball, more contested shots. So him having to not be able to kind of delve into that part of his game, I think, is, is, is very inspiring. And this team has seven different players averaging, I think, seven seven or more points. Um, and just, just continue to go down the line. And, and there's just there's a lot less pressure on him this year. So it's kind of exciting to see that part of it, too.
1: Right. And Simons, again, has another three-point barrage there, five for 11. Uh, Really, I think his shot at this point—now, it was last year. It has been. That's what's really been special about him. He's been like quick-release three-pointer and shooting above 40%, right? But often that goes down with volume and more responsibility. And it it hasn't for Simons—I mean, I don't know. I'd have to look up his actual percentage. But it seems to me, anecdotally, you trust Anthony Simons, Period. Right, I mean, just if he's got the ball at the arc, he's got the green light, right?
0: Absolutely, I, I, I see no arguments there with that, not at all. So he
1: is, uh, let's see, looks like thirty-seven point six percent from the arc. So it's down just slightly, but you know, hey, still, I mean, hard to uh, hard hard to argue with that percentage. It's thirty-eight percent is still really good. The other guy in uh, the Dallas game. Uh, Here he comes again, Jeremy Grant, 37 points, 13 for 22 shooting, and five for nine from the three-point arc. Uh, Okay, I think we knew Jeremy Grant could score if he wanted to. Did you think he could score with this volume and this efficiency that he's been doing the last few games?
0: I think he's looked like an absolute all-star as of late. Um, And that little quick-release three-pointer, it it, it never gets old. He doesn't even bring it down together. He just lets it flop. Um, and it kind of reminds me of something that I was listening to with, uh, JJ Reddick's Oh man, the three podcast, they were basically saying that, uh, in Denver, he was kind of underutilized in Detroit he was kind of overutilized. So now he's in a situation in Portland where they're they put him in the right spots, allowing him to take shots that are so difficult, not putting too much pressure on him. And it's, it's been great. And I was able to dig up a, a stat that kind of, kind of correlates with that a little bit. He's taking five, five and a half three-pointers a game this year, and he's hitting 49.3% of those threes. So, just about half. Um, and this year, he's got a 70.1 effective field goal percentage on those catch and shoot shots. Um, so, him and Anthony Simons are both two guys that are in that top 14 right now in terms of catch and shoot shots. That's made the Blazers a great team as far as that goes. Yeah. So, a little bit of everything right now from him. Do you think
1: that can keep up? Do you think uh, it won't stay that high, right? He'll still be good at yeah. that, but <laughs> it can't be. That's like alien numbers. That's like. <laughs>
0: That's some Stephen Curry numbers there. I think that yeah, he's going to be due for a little bit of regression there, but I don't think it's going to be to a point where it's it's uh it's hurting this team. And then what he's doing it on the other end, it makes up for it too. Like Jason Quick and the Athletic, they wrote an article about um about Grant and and Brandon uh, Lillard's kind of partnership, and he's basically saying that Grant is being described as as everybody's favorite guy. So I think all of that makes for a, a great story arc in terms of when you start negotiating that new deal for him and. and uh, it's a ringing endorsement. So I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how he continues to just build on that on both ends of the floor.
1: Yeah. Shooting to be a $30 million man here, probably. <laughs> uh, that That's a discussion for another day. That will be fun. Uh, but... The Blazers lose this. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie scores 20 on 7-11, shooting six or eight from the three-point arc, including a late barrage, which really put the game away for Dallas. I mean, the late barrage you chalk up, but they weren't really guarding guards very well in this game. Luka Doncic, 13 for 22, 42 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists. uh, Hurricane Luka, you just weren't going to stop that.
0: That dude is amazing to watch. Right, He's passing it, facilitating, scoring, whatever it is. But the reason why I don't really uh, feel too bad about that game, other than it being, you know, the last game of a, a six-game road trip, um, the Mavericks shot 33% on 43 three-pointers, but they hit 56% in the fourth quarter. So it just shows you if you get hot at the right time, you can you can do some damage. And, you know, with all due respect to Spencer Dinwiddie and those guys, I don't think that he's going to have a, a four-quarter explosion like that every single night. They were a postseason game. I think you feel pretty much better about that. And then the Blazers didn't have Justice just Winslow in that game, didn't have Nurkic, fought back down from 16. So just a lot of different variables. And when you get into a, a postseason series, I think you feel better about that, having rest days, having multiple guys back. And, and, uh, so it's not something that I think is too, too concerning at this point in time.
1: Doncic is like... I just, God, he's funny to watch. I mean, Because he steps on the court and, you know, forgive me, but I mean, he's kind of a chonk. I mean, not entirely, <laughs> but he's like, he's thicker. He's thick with two C's, you know, he's not that kind of lean, athletic. And you're going, OK, well, what's what's this guy doing? I mean, if, if he were a power forward with that physique and six foot eight, you'd go, OK, you know, I, I've seen that. He's just, uh, dude, like you're going like that's doing that. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I th- I think he's fun to watch. I mean, what do you think of Luca? What's your what's your take on him? What, what, how do you see his game?
0: Um, other than the foul complaining, you know, he's he's top five to me in terms of just players to watch. Just just so fun because he's a guy that you can kind of relate to. He's not a guy that's gonna blow by you with speed. Not a lot of brute strength there. He's just technique, footwork, and and just incredible balance on his shots. And it kind of reminds me of like a Paul Pierce kind of situation where he can just get to any spot on the floor. Uh, fourth quarter. You know it's coming, so that would be one of the I don't think that I would want to deal with the Mavericks in the, in the postseason. You know, they were able to match up just because of the fact that he can score in so many different ways. Um, but he's the top five, I think, most fun player to watch in the league, you know, bar none at this point in time.
1: Yeah, I mean, does he make Dallas – I mean, obviously, he, he makes them better. There's no doubt about that. He's an MVP candidate. Can he make Dallas into a contender – I don't wanna say on his own. It's never on your own. But you know, without like another bona fide star, is he is he gonna be that good that he can carry them like Nowitzki did pretty close to the promised land?
0: With this roster, uh, as it's currently iterated, I don't really think so. I don't think that you can win a championship with uh, Spencer Dinwiddie as your second best player. He's a great player, don't get me wrong, but I think you just need like another all star kind of player. We've seen this kind of thing play out with, with Damian Lillard. You know, you gotta play hero ball. Kinda gets exhausting. The teams know where the ball's going, so uh, it would be hard for me to say that, but I think he's doing a lot of different things to sort of get himself in position to do that. Um, and and it just thinking about last year in that uh, series against Phoenix, they were kind of targeting him a little bit on those pick and rolls. And then a couple of games later, he's able to respond and, and show that he's not going to be picked apart. So just those little things that he's doing to continue to progress, I think gives him a chance. But uh, if there were ever a year to do it, I think it might be this year because the Western Conference feels more wide open than normal. So but I don't, think, I can't see that being the case.
1: just go to cars.com It's magical. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's too tough, right? It'll be interesting to see whether Dallas can build around him or what happens if they don't. But he's such... There's a thing with those oddball players, though. I don't think he'd be hard at all to trade. That would be stupid to say. But there's always some weirdness, right? Like, who do you move him to where it's going to be better? And... Does that other team have the kind of offense and setup? Because this guy needs to have the ball, right? I mean, for all that he distributes and he does, I mean, he's kind of, I don't want to say a ball hog, but he's pretty ball intensive, right? <laughs> so how you fit that in, I mean, he may have to make a Lillard-like evolution where it goes, I finally got the guys around me and, you know, now I don't have to do all this, which is, of course, what you suggested. Uh, we got San Antonio. And that ended up being very close until the end when the Blazers pulled away. Uh, You got Lillard again with 11 assists. And I thought, really, he had a pretty good all-around game, even though he didn't shoot real well. Uh, Jeremy Grant is still at it with 29 points. Again, six of eight from the three-point arc, which is making the opponents swear, I'm sure. Anthony Simons, he's the second leading scorer today. He has 23. So it's like, and he's 5 of 10. So basically, Grant and Simons are hitting all their threes. Nobody else is hitting hardly any. Uh, but uh, Lillard carries them with a, some scoring and assists, and they come out with a clean win.
0: Yeah, that was a, a really fun game. Um, it, it had the potential to be a trap game. You know, the Blazers hadn't played a, a home game in almost exactly two weeks. Um, you look at the box score in that game, and it's, it's, it's kind of surprising because Portland won three of the four quarters. Like, if you're a coach and you're telling your team, all right, just win every quarter, you probably wouldn't expect it to, there, there to be this much uh, stress. They were down six with five minutes to go in that game, uh, but hey, there's a there's a true mark of a great team. Great teams are able to uh, win the games against those below average teams, and they're able to compete against the, the top teams and, and steal a couple of those games. So, to see the Blazers get a win against a, a, a six win team in San Antonio, I think, is very inspiring in the long run, and it's going to be a win that I think proves vital in, in the standings and the, in the power rankings and whatnot. So,
1: yep. Little trouble with interior defense in this game. I mean, the Spurs like scored 66 or some ungodly amount in the paint and just took it to Portland. Yusuf Nurkic was back now, and uh, they had problems watching the middle, although he played only 15 minutes. Uh, Eubanks played the the bulk of the minutes, but couldn't really help him shut down. Uh, what do you see? I mean— Obviously, Nurkic's coming back from injury or whatever, you know, he's he, he's still hurt, I think. Uh, yeah. Do you think a not completely healthy Nurk should still start?
0: I think the Blazers are in a position where they can kind of afford to let him rest a little bit. You know, he's not playing. I think he's questionable tonight with the uh, quad conclusion. So the Blazers, I think, have, have the bodies to kind of deal with that, kind of weather that storm a little bit with Trinidad Waffer back, Drew Eubanks. Um and he just didn't look good out there. You know, the Blazers, <clears throat> the Spurs were able to uh, run pick and rolls. He couldn't hang in there with with Jakaperto, and part of that's on the guards too. If he, they're bringing them out, you know, the weak side, the bottom, they got to they got to come over and rotate, tag the road. So it's not all on him. But I think at the same time, um, he just looked a step slow, and I think it's telling in the box score. It kind of kind of tells the story.
1: Yeah, I mean, tough game for him. I uh, can the Blazers live without Nurk though. I don't I don't think so. I don't think they're the same team, like let's say if he went down, God forbid, or they traded him away for a future draft pick and you just had a random center, league average center in there. I mean, yes, I believe in Eubanks, like we just said. And, you know, I, I think their system could absorb it a little bit, but I think Nurk still has value to this team, don't you?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. He's a he's a, a, a fine player, I think is the biggest thing you can say. And they're there are going to be certain matchups that they have that his his play style and the way you use him is going to is going to lead to wins. And you're playing a slow paced game. You want to have that that opportunity to dish it down in the low block, give him a chance to score. So he's going to have some trouble against you know those those fast paced teams and things like that. That's just kind of what happens to bruising kind type players like that. But he, he's he's still a very valuable piece of this team. Uh, I don't think he can replace his rebounding completely. And and Bill has basically said that you know he, he went within it wasn't personal the reason they took him out of the game, but you can't do that every night. And I think back to the uh, the Western Conference Finals, this is a long time ago, but it just would have been very convenient to have a guy that can kind of slow the pace down, dish it down to one of the posts, and let him go to work. So he's, he's he's definitely valuable in that area. Right, Shaden Sharp
1: uh, I thought had one of the biggest effects of the season. It wasn't his best game, and it's not like the top-top, but he scored, I think, 13 points in the first half. I don't think he scored in the second, but The Blazers came out of that San Antonio game flat. They came in flat, right? They, you know, it's just kind of, and then all of a sudden Sharp comes in and like cuts through all that like a knife. And I was kind of excited by that. Not because I'm, I mean, nobody gets used to Shaden Sharp, but you expect, okay, they're going to be fireworks potentially there. But the fact that he literally was like a shot of adrenaline to them, that, that's a nice role for him right now. And I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. And it makes me think back to what Bill said in, in his press conference, too. He basically told the starters, hey, we've got to be better. Like, you wouldn't think it, but this was just the second time this year that the uh, Blazers' second unit outscored the reserves. And it's a come to no surprise that they're 2-0 in those games. So uh, it's, it's kind of fun to think about. Every night, you never know what you're going to get out of this team. Uh, they've got a couple of different guys that are capable of, of taking over those games against the second unit. So um, that part of Sharks game is, is, is fun to see. And you just you hope it continues to elevate
1: in that way. Yep. One of the consistent things I noticed during this streak, and really all season, one thing you can generally expect out of Portland is that they're going to exceed the free throw attempts of their opponent. And I haven't checked like what the actual margin is. It was plus five, I know, for the Blazers last I checked, which was before the San Antonio game. It will have gone up because they had uh, a plus nine margin against San Antonio. But the blazers are very, very high in free throw attempts per game, and top six I think in free throw attempts allowed per game, which means that their margin is is large. I think that's actually playing uh, a factor uh in in some of, especially since the games are close that this is something that quietly the blazers are banking on um. I can see part of it because they are making more of an effort to go inside, but I think they are making less of an effort to go inside now than they were at the beginning of the season. Do you think that free throw margin is an aberration, is is going to like normalize out? Do you think it's part of how they play, and do you think it's important?
0: I think it's a part of how they play. You know, We've seen this year they've been a lot smarter, a lot more selective about when they shoot three-pointers, um, and it, it's, it's helped them out tremendously. You, know, you think about that uh, Pelicans game, they shot 37% in the first half of that game or whatever it was, and they were only out by five or six because they were able to get to the line. They were able to get stops. So I think these are our principal tenants that are sustainable in the way they want to play. And I feel better about them doing this and making a deep playoff run than I would in terms of them shooting three-pointers and doing it. So um, I think you feel good about it. I think it's something that, you know, may have a little bit of regression, but similar to Jeremy Grant shooting, but I think you can you can, you can live with this. Mm-hmm.
1: The Blazers by the way are second in the league in free throw attempts per field goal attempt, only trailing the Detroit Pistons. So, and they're 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 a close second pretty much. There's as much distance between them and Detroit as there is between them and Dallas who is third. So, it's uh it's 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 a, it's a big it's a big advantage, I think. And especially on those nights when the shooting is off. I mean, look again. Damian Lillard is case A, right? Because his shooting has not been good since he's been back. He's shooting like you know thirty-three, maybe thirty-five percent. But you go to the foul line fifteen times, and that makes everything better. Yeah,
0: definitely agree with that. They can figure out that that turnover problem. I think the list of, of worries that we have about this team is going to be like a whole lot less. We, we get that figured out. That's like the big thing to me. The free throws, I think you can you are sustainable. And Lillard's a story he, he's been a guy that, that gets to the line when he has those tough nights. And I think that's the mark of a great score. You you look at the box score and they've got 30 points and they've only hit five, five, five field goals. So that, that part of it feels like you can continue to do that. Um, the turnovers, if they figure that out, I think they're going to be good, though. Yeah. Anything
1: else you've noticed this week that made you sit up and say, wow?
0: Mm, just the, the the versatility in which they're winning games, I think, is fun. Um like I know on the turnovers, they're they're four and four when they have the uh, more turnovers than their opponent, so they're still managing to survive it. Uh, we've seen them win games with guys in and out of the lineups, which you know that can affect chemistry. This team is still very new together; they haven't played a lot of games together. But the fact that they're able to win, regardless of who's on the floor, um, that's something you can build on too. So I think that's a big thing that's kind of stood out to me this week.
1: Yeah, I'd agree that that they've come together with different ways to win, which is. I think that, I mean, that's built into this lineup, right? This is literally the change. Like, what was it last year uh, and the years before? Okay, it's going to be Damian Lillard. It's going to be CJ McCollum or Bust. And you get the occasional game by Nurkic or somebody else, but that was a side effect. This year, who knows how they're going to win? All you know is, like, at least two out of those big three are probably going to pop off for a lot of points. And if the third one does, too, God help you, right? Uh, But even if the third one doesn't, you're still going to be in the game because they're hustling, playing defense, and uh, also, by the way, they have some potential bench scorers to make it up. So uh, it's not that I don't see weaknesses in this team. Uh, Interior defense, obviously, turnovers, you mentioned. I think this team can get distracted sometimes, and the defensive effort lapses sometimes, not as much as in years past, but it's still a little spotty, right? But despite those weaknesses, there's just enough—it's like playing war. They're not playing chess. They're playing war. You're in a game with cards with kids. You split the deck in half, and this, this card beats that card, and you just keep playing until one person has it. Like, the Blazers are not dealing all aces. They're just always going to come with another card. Oh, you won that possession? Okay, next one. Oh, next one. Next one. Oh, well, pretty soon you get sick. (laughs) I can't, I ain't got any cards left. Oh, we got plenty. So I think that that's actually a really interesting development. And I think actually it, I don't have a lot of doubts about them sustaining this. As long as they stay healthy, I think they, I don't know that they can go 10 and four. For the rest of the season and keep that average, but as long as they stay healthy, I think they're going to be
0: all right. And to continue with your uh card analogy, I thought that they put a wild card yesterday with with Damian Lillard, fourth quarter with his defense. And they were talking about uh Chauncey Billows kind of went into the huddle when he was asking, like, who's going to guard Devin himself? Lillard was like, I'll got it, I got it, I'll take it. And I think you like to see your star kind of relish that challenge, take on that. And I thought his block, um, I think it was on Keita hey, B- Base Johnson in the, in the yeah, post, yeah, yep. yeah, he's he's always been a good post defender, but just being able to see that was, that was a game changer. that play. so
1: that was foul. That was nasty. And <laughs> a dude has like, you know, five inches on a minimum, right? Yes. And it's just like, all right, I got this. This is the matchup I want. And like, bam. No, thank you. Oh, what you could see, <laughs> you could hear the sad trombone play in the Spurs huddle right there. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, wow. All right. So before we move on to future games, We've got to ask the big question of the week. The blue uniforms, the, the new carpet, you know, they they wore them. They won in them. They're going to wear them again tonight from our perspective. You will have already seen them when you hear this podcast. What's your take on on the carpet uniforms?
0: I got to get used to it. I'll be honest. I'm more of a traditionalist. So I like to see the, the road teams playing the black and red and the home teams playing the white. I'm so used to that. Um, but it's just weird seeing the Blazers in, in blue. Like the Suns played a game yesterday against the Warriors. They're playing in light blue. I'm like, it's hard to put the, the connections together, like where that happened, where that came from. So I like the variance in it, but I'm not sure if I'm a, a, a big fan of that just yet. Maybe it'll grow on me. Maybe it'll grow on me, but it hasn't just yet, though.
1: I, I'm torn because you know what? In the abstract, I think they look good. I like the lettering. I like the restraint. I like how the blue plays against the black. I think, actually, those are nice uniforms. A diagonal swoosh is is perfect for that color. But it's not blazers. I mean, the only thing worse is if it was, like, green or yellow. Because green Celtics and yellow, God help us. But, like, it's just, it's a good-looking uniform. But I'm, like, people don't understand. I have to recap these games. And sometimes I do one. Sometimes I do both. And tonight, as we're talking, I have to do both. And they're going to be in the blue uniforms. And every time I look up, I have to track which team is which. It literally takes me like half a second to go, okay, that's the Blazers. And usually I'm looking up and I'm seeing plays and players. You know how hard it is to type two recaps simultaneously and watch a game and the team is like incognito because of the way they're dressed?
0: It's got to be tough. I think if they're going to do it, they have to do it when they're playing a team that wears like completely opposite. Like if if you wear the blue uniforms, Make sure you're playing like the, uh, the Celtics, something, something like that, where you can tell the difference. But I like the, uh, the old gray uniforms they had from 2021. 20, they were saying like the old printer uniforms, you know what I'm yeah, talking about? Yeah, yeah. I love, I love those. Those are my favorite uniforms, I think, recently.
1: I, I got to tell you, I, the court that I like is Brooklyn's colorless court. Yeah. It just looks so sweet on TV. And then it makes okay. all the uniforms pop. Like, but I always wanted the Blazers to wear the gray in Brooklyn, like, because then it would be like, oh, wow, what is monochromatic? (laughs) Like, is this black and white? Do not adjust your sets. The other uniform, though, that I really liked was Minnesota's Prince uniform, those purples. Those were good. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I've never wanted to be a fan of another team. I've never, I mean, I'm a Blazers fan. I don't lust after other people's uniforms. We got the best ones, but God, those purples were want.
0: Smooth, definitely smooth.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Miami's got some good ones too. I like the Miami. Yeah, i was gonna say that Miami. Yeah, Yeah. but I don't know. They're not like league changing. They're just nice, and I don't know if just nice enough is to get me to con is enough to get me to convert to blue. Yeah. Anyway, (sighs) if that's the only trouble we have this season, I suppose we're doing good. So, what do we got coming up? First of all. This game will be done by the time we people hear this. I know, by the way, people are saying, uh, well, why does your podcast come out like two days after you record it? Cause usually there's one game between either way, right? We could we could try to get it out the next day. And we usually do if there's like two games, we try to let only one game go by. But we're this volunteer, Kyle, our volunteer producer who does an amazing job, love him. But We can't like push him to record on Thursday afternoon and have that out by Thursday evening. It's just not feasible. So, uh, everybody should thank Kyle and the work he does for us. Certainly appreciate it. And if you can live with us for, you know, for one game of a gap, then, you know, we appreciate it. It makes it easier on us. In any case, uh, the trailblazers have the nets coming up. Kevin Durant will play, uh, Kyrie Irving still will not, although we just got news flash across our wire that he will probably be back in their next game in Memphis. How do you make uh, sense of what the Blazers and Nets are going to do tonight? Is this going to be an easy win, or do you think
0: they're going to have trouble? Um, it's, it's hard for me to ever say an easy win. I'm not used to that just yet. No. Um, but Sacramento, sure, they sure made it look easy the other night. So um, I think we're gonna get, I think they're going to get a win in this game. Uh I, I don't I don't like what Kevin Durant said in this in his press conference after the game. He was basically saying, like, look who you got me out here with. I'm out here with four four role players and you think we're gonna win? Like it's just not something that you hear a, a star player say often, especially publicly like that. So I don't know. I don't think that uh Brooklyn's locker room situation is is all that it should be right now. So I think the Blazers are gonna be able to get this win here, especially being back home too. So
1: So let's hold on that for a second too, because That's almost in contrast to an interview that he gave. And I don't have it pulled up. Uh, I can check it while you talk. But so he said, well, I made my trade request because the coach wasn't pushing us hard enough as a team. And I like the team I was with. I just wanted to be kind of coached more and pushed more and make me do more drills. And then we'll be okay." So wait a minute. You either like the team and just want it drilled harder or you don't like the team because it's no good even when you are drilled harder. What's what's the story with what do you make of what's going on with Durant there?
0: It's just a, a weird situation all around. Um I remember the trade requests in the summer. Um the situation now with Kyrie Irving. It's just I don't know. If I were if I were Brooklyn, I would have probably I know you normally aren't supposed to just give the players empowerment like that where you're trading them just because they ask. I think I would have probably moved on from that, giving those both both of those guys a, a new scenery, try to rebuild your culture. Um and there's nothing wrong with that especially now they've got those two guys and they still can't get, they can't string together wins. So uh, it's a situation now where I look at it and I, and I say both, both sides would probably be better off somewhere else. And it's the same to say that because they're so fun to watch when, when, when Durant and Irvin are both together. Um, but just in terms of Portland, I don't see Portland having too much of an issue winning this game here. Um, I think that they're going to be really, really motivated to be back at home, got their legs back under them now. And then, Feels like a game Portland means by obviously double digits, maybe twelve points, thirteen points, something like that.
1: The buzz has been around. Uh, assuming it costs you what you think it would cost you, which is probably two starters and a crap ton of draft picks, would you ever consider trading for Durant for this Portland team?
0: Um, I'm like I'm like fifty fifty on that because of just you had to give up so much to get him. You know what I'm saying, and it it be a, a short term riddle. I think Kevin Durant is kind of being viewed now as a what do they call it? A uh the, the hired the hired uh mercenary, the hired mercenary where he comes in and he, he wins you a championship and he goes on to the next stage. I think with Portland you want to see something more long term, and I think you like what you see with Shade and Sharp, and, and and just the locker room dynamic of these guys, how much they they sort of appreciate playing together, and bringing in a guy like that uh kind of kind of threatens that a little bit. So I don't know if you feel like you're in win-now mode, you, maybe you give it a shot. I think you can see both sides in that perspective, but um, you just had to give up so much that I'd be kind of on the fence about it, though.
1: Yeah, and right now you have Dame and the kids, right? I mean, nobody yeah. significant is above 28 at this point, except for Lillard. If you do that, you're going to trade a 28-year-old and a 23-year-old for Kevin Durant, who's even older than Dame, right? So yeah. now you are you can't get out of win-now mode. I mean, frankly speaking like if this all went to heck all the Blazers would have to do is move Lillard and they've already rebuilt right I'm not saying that that's a smart move I'm not saying that they're better but whatever you move Lillard for you go well we get a new chance with assuming they re-signed Jeremy Grant and they have Anthony Simons they have Shaden Sharp right if they trade for Durant now you've just you've split the team really you have Durant and Lillard who are hugely paid you're not going to be able to trade Durant uh for a ton because you just paid a ton for him and it didn't work out. Right. And also, uh, you, you never going to be able to trade both of them for any, you know, for equal value. So you, you've put yourself in a potential course that dead ends pretty quickly and doesn't end up, uh, with, you know, without, it's got to have the result that you want. And I don't know. I mean, Durant still Durant, he scores 30, yeah, but Dang, I don't know. I still don't know if that's a guaranteed title at this point. Four years ago, Durant? Yes, right? Oh, you yeah. do that all day, oh, yes. right? But not this one. All right, so you'll have uh, Brooklyn. Then you have Utah, battle of young upstarts, except for Utah's been slumping. As we speak, they've lost three in a row, and they play Phoenix next. Uh, so and they're going to be on the second day of a back-to-back, too. So, I mean, Utah, this is probably the best time and way to get Utah right now, right?
0: Yeah, probably the best time. But I've still got some um, some PTSD from that preseason game that they had where they just Portland just could not get away from them. And it should have been a sign of things to come, but they they really play well. You know, that five-out offense, I think, is going to give Portland some trouble, especially if if, if usage Nuggets is in there. And it could be tough for him to kind of navigate through that. Um, but I think Portland's going to have some juice for this game, too, because if you look at the standings, Portland, Utah, and, and Phoenix are the three teams that are kind of jostling for that top spot. So it could be a nice way to send a message. And Poland's already eight and three against the West this year. And they've got some, some great wins that I think are gonna, you know, prove vital when they look at the tie burgers later in the year. And this would be a great chance to add another one to that. So
1: it's a brilliant point. I mean, look, you're not you're this is a piggy bank still. You're not making big Bitcoin deposits, or that's a bad example now, but you know, you're not making huge paycheck deposits into your banking account with these early wins, but you are putting nickels in the piggy bank for those tiebreakers later, right? And when it comes time to to buy that seed if you tie, then all of a sudden you got the bigger piggy bank, you're good. So I like that outlook. Uh yeah, Utah I think Utah's going to be tougher than people think, especially since Portland doesn't have the streak ahead step on your neck finish you off mentality at this point. Yeah. I think they should probably be able to win it, but then one day rest and you're in Milwaukee. And oh boy, that's a tough challenge. And then one day rest after that, and you're in Cleveland. Now, Cleveland's also been slumping, like Utah, but that's still not an easy get. So you have a couple of winnable games and then a couple of really tough ones.
0: Yeah, we can brag a little bit here about how we've predicted this, this, these records over the last couple of weeks. That Cleveland game, I think, makes me kind of nervous. Uh, I thought the start of the year, they were like fantastic. But ever since they came back from that California road trip, they've kind of struggled a little bit, too. Uh, but you'll have a battle of two different strengths there. You're looking at Portland, their ability to get to the rim. Uh, Cleveland has one of the best run protectors in the league, and, and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. So, be a fun way. It'd be a fun matchup. See how that kind of plays out. If there were a game that they were going to lose this week, and I know that's kind of stating the obvious, I think that would probably be the one that they lose. Cleveland has the, kind of the offense to kind of match them uh, blow for blow, and the defense to kind of take away some of their strengths. So, uh, it'd be fun. And I like the way that Evan Mobley and Jeremy Grant kind of play that similar role where they run the zone of defense with him at the top, force turnovers, uh, and get out in transition. So just a lot of, lot of fun to think about that matchup, and hopefully it's, a, uh, hopefully it's an NBA Finals preview, something like that that we can kind of talk about.
1: Oh, that would be something. Oh, you heard it here first. That's Marlo. Let me stop. Let me stop. That's Marlo calling the Blazers in the NBA Finals. Well, and this will be interesting now that I don't disagree. I mean, I can't predict finals, but look at how my mind has shifted. We've gone in 14 games from, are the Blazers going to be any good? I think the answer is yes. Now, are the Blazers going to be great? Are the Blazers the best team in the West? Still probably not. That's going to even out. But I, I don't think we have to wait for 20 games, which is the usual mark, to say it's, it's, they're all right. They're going to be all right, okay? And they're going to be in there. Now, here's the question. Like, how much can they sustain it? And even more, does it translate to the playoffs? Uh, We're going to be able to talk a lot more about that, obviously, between here and there. But if there's a worry, it's that, okay, this kind of coming at you from all angles, you you playing all the cards and hitting enough winners, you know, to 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 get the edge. That works in the regular season and it works for a, a lot of reasons. When a team can target you in the playoffs, it gets different and your weaknesses get more exposed. I think it'll be incumbent upon the Blazers to show if they can shore up some of those weaknesses between now and the trade deadline. But I also think that the ask at the trade deadline has now gone from how are you going to convert your expiring contracts into another star to, okay, who can you keep at the end of the year? And if you're not going to keep somebody, yes, you got to move them. But what specific targets for those weaknesses can you
0: acquire? you mean as far as like players that may be able to fix that yeah or like
1: yeah so like do you need another big for instance and i'm not i'm not like we don't have to answer those but i'm just saying shifting in mindset from damn blazers need another star or they're not going to make it well i'm not sure that's true actually at this point or at least they're making the claim it's not true now it's like okay what kind of mid-range player what kind of targeted acquisition can the blazers get that will take them that much higher right, and solidify their position in not just getting to the postseason, but in the postseason.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's a nice problem to have, I think you can say, especially since we weren't expecting this to kind of be the, the story arc for them at the start of the year. Um, we, we, we keep bringing it up. The first 20 games of this season were the toughest ones that they had to deal with. Now their schedule gets a little easier. Um, and like I said, I, I like the way that they've been able to win in different ways. And there's one number that kind of stands out to me when you look at the, the postseason. It's a lot about matchup hunting. It's a lot about being able to get to your spots. And Portland, they had uh the last time I checked, they had two guys in, in Lillard and Simons that were both among the top 10 in terms of isolation points per possession, but they weren't top 20 in like isolation frequency. So it shows they're able to get to their when they do when they do isolate, they can get to their, they can get to their spots and get points, but they don't have to rely on that though. So when you get to the postseason, I think you'll see those numbers start to go up. Um and it's a it's a nice luxury to have having a lot of guys on this team that can fulfill different roles play different spots and and just elevate their games wherever needed. So it's a nice, it's a nice time to have, I think. Excellent. So
1: uh, we have four games then let's call it Brooklyn at home, Utah at home, Milwaukee and Cleveland on the road. Two and two, three and one. What do you think?
0: I'm going to say two and two. I'm going to say two and two and play it safe.
1: (laughs) That would put them at 12 and six after 18 the final two games of the first 20 at the Knicks at the Nets. you would hope that those could be wins. we'll talk about those next week. I mean Brooklyn with Kyrie back, there's there's a chance that you get out superstarred, right? but let's say let's say they're both wins. That would put them, let's see we said 12 and six, so that would put them at 14 and six after the first 20, or if they slip in Brooklyn 13 and 7. I would say that that's acceptable.
0: And actually, I want to get a little bolder. I'm going to go with them to actually beat Milwaukee this week. Whoa! Milwaukee's offense. Let's get a little. Let's get a little bold. (laughs) Milwaukee's offense has not looked the same without Chris Middleton. I think defensively, they're able to still, you know, sustain what they do. And and Giannis Antetokounmpo has played, I can be a candidate like he always has. But I think Portland has the guys that can kind of make life difficult for him. Whether you're putting Jeremy Grant on him or uh Justice Winslow, whoever it is, you've you got some guys you can put on them and kinda kinda worry them out a little bit. Um so I like their chances on, on getting an upset there. But the Cleveland game, I think that that's one of those ones where you know you're riding a high on a winning streak and it's kinda kinda acceptable for you to lose the game there. So I'll go three and one there and, and spice it up a little bit. Let's go three and one.
1: Wow. Okay. Three and one. That would that could potentially put them at what, uh five fifteen and five after twenty That would be... Okay, so we'll just talk... I like to talk boundaries. The upper limit is probably 15 and 5. You you don't see them running the field. That's if they play out of their minds, do really well. Lower limit, we're saying, is probably 13 and 7. So that's if they play 500 over the next six. I don't think they're going to fall apart over the next six. By the way, I wouldn't be surprised if they got a slump later on an easier part of the schedule. You know, you could see this team losing five or six, just starting to look at each other and getting in their own heads because everything's worked so far. You know, they haven't really hit that. This didn't work. Oh, no, what do we do? Let's fix. Let's oversteer this way, oversteer that way. You know, so I'm not saying that they're going to be pristine the rest of the schedule. But dang, if we're looking at 13 and seven as the bottom end of this first 20, you take that,
0: right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it, it still surpasses all of our expectations for where they were at the start of this year. We were thinking that, I remember we had a conversation on this podcast. It was like, we, the first week of the season, we were thinking like, if they can get out of that 8 and 12, 9 and 11, okay, we might be we might be cooking with gas here. So for them to be three games above that, four games above that, uh, very inspired by it. Yeah. And I think that they, they've been able to They've got some different guys coming in that can kinda of add different dynamics. And they're gonna be a hard team to scout. You, know, you get so many different players in and I think in the long term, I think it's gonna benefit them.
1: Yeah, no Gary Payton yet. Although the when you say it like that, it does put perspective on it because the difference between you know nine and eleven or ten and ten and thirteen and seven is is only three or four games. Now It's only three or four in 20. That's a lot of the games. That's a high percentage of them. But over the course of a season, three or four games does matter. That's a seed or two, right? But it's not the difference between the number one seed and the number six seed, right? And it's not the difference between a champion and a team that just made the playoffs. I think 13 and seven offers high confidence the Blazers are going to make the playoffs and pretty high confidence that they don't have to play their way in. That, you know, if, if things go bad, maybe they're a sixth seed, right? All right. That's great. That's way ahead of where we thought they would be. But 13-7 and seven doesn't mean that their job is done. I mean, they got to follow this up with even better if they really want to contend. So, I mean, perfe- perspective. But I'm happy. I don't know. I don't see anything to be unhappy with about this team. Do you?
0: I don't. And I think it, it, it's awesome that, you look at the end of that road trip. We went four and two on that road trip, and people were like, "Oh, we left, some, we left some food on the table there. We could have won more." Um, and I think it just speaks it speaks volumes to you know the the vibe in the situation here for you to go four and two on a six game road trip and still feel like you had something to give there. I think it's 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 an awesome feeling. And thirteen and seven is something that we haven't really seen too much. We've seen a lot of ten and ten. We've seen a lot of average teams in, in Portland. So this is just this is exciting. And I, I think back to that uh 2014 season where they started out like 22 and four got out hot and everybody was, was calling them you know the darlings of the NBA. Um it feels kinda of similar to that. And uh it's just just it's rare. It's rare to see. We haven't really seen a lot of that from this this Blazers group over the last couple of couple of years. So it's very fun to see.
1: Yeah, rare to see in Portland. We should also point out for the sake of logic and consistency that other teams are doing this too. I mean Phoenix is nine and five, Denver's nine and five, Utah's ten and six. And uh, and by the way some, some teams that you don't necessarily believe are still going to be there at the end, right? So the Blazers are hardly unique in this, but it is unique for Portland to be doing this, or fa- fairly unique. So, yeah, I mean, I can't think of the last time that I've looked at a team and said, there's really something I think they, or there's really nothing I think they should be doing better. I mean, they have weaknesses, like you said, those turnovers, there, there's defense, yeah. there's, you know, but I can't, I can't fault them for that. I mean, what do you expect? They're already well beyond that, and they're playing better in a better style than I ever thought. So, anything else as we wrap up here?
0: Uh, Just uh, I'm excited to see what happens with Jeremy Grant. Not only with the contract, but also just the uh, like I said, I think he's played like an all star this year. I was looking at some of his uh, defensive like positional numbers. He's defended like his top six guys are are like LeBron James, De'Aaron Fox, Russell Westbrook, Bam Adebayo. So you're seeing like. one through five, he's taken on the challenge. And uh, it's just really inspired by how he's played this year. And it, it, it's surpassed my expectations already for him.
1: Interesting, because every year prior to this, you would have said the one player that the Blazers cannot afford to lose is Damian Lillard, right? Has that changed? And I'm not saying Grant is better than Lillard. But you know what? The Blazers can absorb losing Damian Lillard for a little bit. They've shown it. Could they absorb losing Jeremy Grant? I don't know. Like, is he more, is he now the one guy on which it hinges more than any other, even if he's not the best player?
0: You can say that. He's like the X factor. And it kind of, kind of similar to like a, like a Wesley Matthews kind of guy where he's defending the best guy on the perimeter every night. Um, and he's still bringing so much on the offensive end. So they're just asking him to, asking him to do so much. And he just loved the way he started off games this year. I think on the road trip, the 6-10 road trip, he, he shot like 26, average 26 points on like 50, 50, 80 percentage splits. So it was just, he's just amazing at this point in time right now. I think the best way you can put it.
1: Yep. Well, we'll watch together to see whether Jeremy Grant comes back to earth or whether he's just floating away like the wizard. And uh, we'll hope the Blazers go three and one because Marlow is always right about everything. We know that already <laughs> after six shows. Uh, we'll watch that Milwaukee game. If they win it, you guys you tag Marlow on Twitter. At Mellowfurg, and uh, give him full credit Uh, for Marlow Ferguson. I'm Dave Deckard. We will see you again next week, and enjoy the Blazers and their wonderful new uniforms.